So I'll take the opportunity of uh, wishing you all a very joyful and happy new year. And uh, I hope that we can work together this year to, to make it a, a year to remember. So we, we turn to the parable of the talents. But uh, I wonder, are you a glass half empty or a glass half full? I know that I'm naturally a glass half empty person. Sally says I'm a bit of a misery at times. But I guess I'm probably in the minority since most people in this world are optimistic about life. And isn't it uh, better to always look on the bright side of life anyway? Actually, it's, it's a little bit more complicated than that. And I just want to show you this. Um, is this a glass half empty or a glass half full? Well, it depends on the circumstances. I, I guess for these holidaymakers, it's a glass half empty. But for this farmer who's desperate for rain... It's certainly a glass half full. How about that one? Is that a glass half empty? Well, it depends on your perspective, you know? If you happen to be a body shop repairist, then, you know? Anyway, joking aside... um, when I first, when I, whenever I've looked at this parable, I've found it very easy to take the glass half empty view on, on what it has to say. And I find myself immediately relating not to the successful servants who actually made a hundred percent returns on their five and their two talents respectively. But rather, I seem to latch on to the servant who has achieved nothing, the lazy servant. And I I guess underneath, I'm a lazy person, and I'm conscious of that. Surely, a glass half empty for certain uh, is this parable. But I'd like to strongly disagree with myself on this one and say that if we look at the context of this parable, suddenly we find great assurance and even encouragement. But it's all about context, so... This morning I want us to to put on our half-full spectacles and and reap the harvest of encouragement that may be found in this parable which is so well known, but maybe you haven't looked at the details for a while. So let us look at the context, and if we were to read Matthew's Gospel, we find that the entire chapters 24 and 25 consider the teaching of Jesus on what we call the end times. And the end times are all about the return of Jesus, the second advent, the second coming of Jesus. And Matthew introduces, first of all, the signs of the end of the age, and then introduces the idea that no one knows when this will happen. Uh, and we, we read this in Matthew, quite, quite an interesting verse. No one knows about the day or hour, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son. Even Jesus didn't know the day when he will return. And not even Jesus himself knows the day or the hour. But it is Jesus who Matthew is speaking about who clearly is determined to leave ample instruction 
for his immediate disciples and for all believers in the future concerning the end times. And he does this through a series of parables that follow. And the first three parables are all about being watchful, watchfulness. And uh, Jesus introduces that set of three parables with these words. Jesus says, therefore keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. And as Jesus reveals these three parables, they are parables with increasing levels of detail. The first parable is incredibly short. It's in verses 43 and 44 of of Matthew 24. And it's about the house owner who, if he'd been at home, he would have prevented the thief from stealing from his house. Very simple. The second one is about the servant who is left in charge of the household while the master is away. And the question is, when the master returns, will everything be as it should be? Or will the household have gone wild in the master's absence? And finally, we have the much longer parable of the ten virgins. That's the five uh, wise virgins and the five foolish virgins who uh, are ready or not for the coming of their, um, their bridegroom. And each of those parables, in their own way, illustrates the great need for watchfulness. But Jesus then comes to the climax of his teaching in this parable we read this morning. And this is the teaching on the end times with the parable of the talents. And here Jesus is not teaching about watchfulness, but rather about loyalty and good stewardship. And specifically the loyalty and good stewardship of God's people during the period between the ascension of our Lord Jesus and his imminent return. So this parable is highly relevant for you and me since this is the age in which we find ourselves today, the age that anticipates the end times of our Lord. I think I've probably said this once before on this pulpit, but I'm going to say it again. Many years ago, when I was a young Christian in my early 20s, and that was a long time ago, I remember a sermon by our church minister. And he said this, he said, there are two important certainties in life. The first certainty is that one day you will die. And the second certainty is that one day Jesus will return. And he went on to say that how you prepare for these two certainties will be the two most important things you will ever do in your life. And whilst I can't remember anything else about the sermon, I can't even remember the text, I can't even remember the funny stories, that advice has stuck with me as a Christian ever since. And it's been at the forefront of my thinking, have I sorted those two certainties out in my life? Well, I suspect that most of us, if not all of us, have already dealt with that first certainty since we are here this morning, and I suspect we're here because we are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ as our Saviour. So we know our sins have been dealt with. 
We know that we have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And we know, really we know, that Jesus has already prepared for each one of us a place in heaven. But what about our preparation for our Lord's return? Jesus clearly thought that it was important, and Matthew records the teaching Jesus gave in those four consecutive parables that I alluded to. But let's look at the parable of the talents. It starts with a word. It starts with the word, again. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey. But we need to understand exactly what a man going on a journey will be like. We have to make that connection by going back to the parable of the ten virgins and then we'll understand what that word again actually means. So let's go back to the beginning of that third parable of the ten virgins. And Jesus says this, he says, At the time the kingdom of heaven, at that time the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. But we've got the again in our parable and we can now understand what that means. And I've sort of substituted again with those initial words that we said. At that time, the end time, it will be like a man going on a journey. So our parable tells us something about the kingdom of heaven in its final manifestation And that the outcome of this parable is in some way linked to the outcome of the kingdom of heaven at the end times. That's what that again means. That's what it tells us. So we can look at it in its entirety, the, the opening two verses, and it tells us the story. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. Now, a parable, sorry, a talent in this parable is actually an amount of money. And it's an amount of money defined by its weight. Interestingly enough, uh, if you read in Revelation There are some enormous hailstones that come down that each weigh a talent or something like that. So it's it's a weight. And uh, it's a very valuable weight of money because one talent, roughly speaking, equates to about 20 years of an average wage. So it's a very significant amount of money. So five talents defines at least the value of an entire lifetime of earning. That's the sort of amounts we're talking about here. And those three servants are given respectively five, two, and one talent. And uh, we're also told that those amounts apparently have been given on the basis of the ability of each servant. And the parable goes on to tell us that the first two servants double the money that their master has given them. But the third servant simply buries the talent in the ground and leaves it there until he digs it up on the day his master returns. 
And we're then left with a period of time when the master is away and we we don't know very much of what happens in that intervening period. But we are told after a long time, it's a long time, after a long time, the master of those servants returned and he settled accounts with them. And we read that the master is pleased with the first two servants who've doubled uh, his money uh, in his absence. But do notice that the master offers exactly the same compliment to both of those servants. Whether they've brought in an extra five or an extra two, they get the same compliment. Even though the first servant had delivered much more in terms of quantity. In fact, this is the reply that we get to both the servant who has doubled the five talents to ten, as well as the servant who has doubled the two talents to four. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. So that's the first two servants. Still very much a glass half full, I think. But we have a contrast because the third servant has done absolutely nothing with the talent other than bury it in the ground and forget about it. And he's done nothing with the talent which his master entrusted to him. And instead of getting a very positive compliment, uh, he gets a chastisement. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So... That's the, the nub of the parable. That's what it's about. But what does it teach us? What is in there that, that can help us and encourage us? Well, clearly the master in this parable is Jesus himself. The master goes away for a long time, but eventually returns. And similarly, Jesus is away for a long time, but will Eventually and inevitably return. The servants are you and me. The servants represent God's people during the gospel period. That is the time that you and I live in today. And the time during which we anticipate the imminent return of Jesus. Yes, it will be a long time. But Jesus is coming back. He will return. We are certain of that. And we also learn then that each one of us has been entrusted with God-given talents. No one's been missed out. There are no exceptions. Each one of us has been entrusted with talents from God. Our Lord has given us talents 
which are valuable to this period of time between his ascension into heaven and his ultimate return. But we have to understand that we need to deviate our thinking a little bit from the from the parable in that we have to view the talents not only as money or physical resource, but also to include the modern interpretation of what a talent is. That is whatever God has given you and me as an ability for his service in this life. What we also learn is that we are given different talents, but that because they are given in grace, we will indeed have the necessary ability that we can use those in serving the kingdom of God within this world in which we live. Our master has been immensely generous to every one of us, but the parable reminds us that the ownership of each talent remains with God. God is the owner of those talents that he has entrusted to us. God has made an investment with each one of us, and we in turn bear the responsibility to put to use our God-given talents for the good of God's kingdom here on earth. But you know, the servant in the parable was aware of his responsibility. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. And there is a word there which I'd just like to highlight again. The word see... It almost slips you, slips by as you read the, the verse, but it's not just a matter of fact, I have gained five more. He says, see, I have gained five more. That's the enthusiasm of the servant. He says, see, look what I've been able to do. It speaks of eagerness, of realized responsibility, of sheer delight that this servant has actually achieved something with the talent he was given. The servant is thrilled to be able to report the good news to his master. See, I have gained five more. On the day of our Lord, will we similarly be able to say this? See, Lord, look how the talent you entrusted to me has brought you glory. And if we're able to say that, then... Our Lord's response will be this. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. And won't it be wonderful to hear those words spoken? Won't it be thrilling to know that we have added to our master's happiness? This parable, I believe, is one of great encouragement. God has given talents to each of us and in accordance to our ability. And we do not need to strive after the impossible. Rather, we need to recognize that which God has graciously given to us. And there's even greater encouragement in that the parable makes it quite clear 
that our efforts for the kingdom of God will not be measured in terms of quantity. Remember, both servants received exactly the same compliment from their master, regardless of whether they had made five or only two talents. You see, it's all about our loyalty and our stewardship of what God has given each of us. And for that matter, what God has given us collectively as a fellowship at Lum. Yes, there is the third servant. And maybe there are those who emulate the third servant. But I don't believe you'll find any of them at Lum. Or indeed in any other Christian fellowship of similar or different backgrounds. The lazy servant in this parable is the baseline warning against which we do well to monitor ourselves so that we avoid those times when we feel laziness coming on and it keeps us from pride and complacency. And you know, maybe you have talents that are yet to be discovered. How exciting is that? Yet to be used for the good of God's kingdom here on earth. The message of this parable is one of great encouragement. If you have a dormant talent, now's the time to realize it. The parable gives us encouragement to use our God-given talents for the glory of our Heavenly Father, to understand that God has indeed given each of us talents that he considers valuable. Remember the value of one talent was 20 years of wages. These things are immensely important to God. God, through Jesus Christ, of course, has made a huge investment in each one of us. And I do wonder whether the five talents, which is equivalent to an entire life's wage, is deliberate. Perhaps to remind us of the price paid for each one of us by Jesus Christ on the cross. We are redeemed by his blood. He has paid for our lifetime. But Peter reminds us of this, and this is the verse I put before after the children's talk. Um, Each one of us should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. You see, all gifts, all talents are God-given, but they are also given by God's grace for us to administer, to spread God's grace within his kingdom here on earth today. However, There is one thing that this parable doesn't deal with. There is one thing that is a clear omission in what we need to think about today. You see, in the parable, there is no thinking or no suggestion of working together. Each servant seemed to do their own thing. But I'd like then to remind you again of the text for the year. This is all about working together and maximizing those talents that God has given us. Let us encourage one another. And to put it in its context, and all the more as you see the day approaching. The context is the same as the parable. The approaching day with the deliberate capital D is the day of our Lord's return. That is what is meant here in Hebrews. And the writer to the Hebrews has in mind the great need for encouragement, especially with our work for the kingdom as 
the day approaches. And encouragement is not something you do on your own. It's something you do collectively. Encouragement within the fellowship is a sure way to maximise the effectiveness of the collective God-given talents we all possess. And it should be our joy to see others realising the potential of those talents for the collective good and for the good of God's kingdom, for our master's joy, as the parable reminds us, and in readiness for the promised and certain return of Jesus. Now, encouragement may simply be a one-off for a particular activity at a particular time. But encouragement may also be a for-life commitment, maybe to a fellow Christian who has a clearly evident talent but struggles to realise it for reasons of apprehension or lack of self-confidence. Those are the very people who need encouragement so badly. Encouragement, of course, by definition, is at least a two-way process. It is wonderful to see the effects of encouragement. If you encourage someone, actually, you get a great blessing uh, in return. As we encourage others, we inevitably receive the joy of seeing the effect of our own encouragement on how that person is able to fulfill uh, maybe a talent that they have. And of course, encouragement breeds encouragement. If we could truly harness the spirit of encouragement within our fellowship, we could see each other grow. And those who have been encouraged, motivated all the more to encourage others. It's almost like the way a disease spreads, but in a very positive way. Encouragement is that which builds up the Christian community. But you know, sometimes encouragement is hard. We may sometimes be compelled to encourage someone who thinks differently to ourselves. Um, But let that not be an excuse to avoid offering encouragement. Encouragement can supply vital guidance for those who are seeking to serve the law. So let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. When Jesus returns, what will he say to you and to me? What will he say to the fellowship collectively at Lum? I'm sure of this. He will not ask if we got the date right. Rather, in pure and overwhelming love, he will simply ask, what have you been doing while I've been away? And then we will hear those words spoken in the parable. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. And these are words for you, words for me, and words for the fellowship here at Lum. May this be a year when we encourage each other and when we use those God-given talents for God's glory. Amen.